Hello and welcome everyone to the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron White, fresh back on the ground in Seattle, Washington after my trip to the Toronto International Film Festival. You are here for reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler-free, so that's what you're going to get. In this series, I will be speaking about the films that I saw at TIFF 2023. Some of these do not have release dates yet. Others do. I'll let you know when I can what those are. But thank you for coming along for this journey. I hope that I can introduce you to some interesting and exciting new films to keep your eye out for. So without further ado, let's get into the reviews. All right, we're going to start with one of the surprises of the festival for me, and sadly, the only documentary that I got around to watching. The movie is called Copa 71, and it comes to us from Dogwoof, New Black Films, and Westbrook Studios. Copa 71 is directed by Rachel Ramsey and James Erskine. Cinematography is by Angela Neal. Music by Clee Savage. It is edited by Arturo Calvetti and Mark Roberts. It runs 91 minutes. And it is in English, Spanish, Italian, and French. What's it about? Told by the pioneering women who participated in it and built from archive footage unseen for 50 years, this is the extraordinary story of the 1971 Women's Soccer World Cup, a tournament witnessed by record crowds that has been written out of sporting history until now. Now, Copa 71 is basically like the origin story of women's football. If you're a soccer fan or a sports documentary fan at all, this is a film that is going to be right up your alley. It actually starts with a quote from Brandy Chastain. She is handed an iPad and she starts watching footage of this event that she had never seen before. And she says it makes her equal parts happy and infuriated. And that is basically how I felt by the end of watching this as well. The documentary begins by tracing the history of women's involvement in the sport of football or soccer. I will use them interchangeably throughout, I'm sure. Going back to the 1900s, when doctors would say that women were not healthy enough to play the game, that they were in danger somehow uh, of being hurt or not being able to produce babies if they played the sport. In the 1920s, they were banned from participating in many countries. It actually became illegal for women to participate in organized play. And then it progresses on to the beginnings of the organized play in countries such as Italy, Denmark, England, France, Mexico, Argentina, and many more. Despite a lack of recognition from the official governing body of soccer, FIFA, Women's sports were on the rise at the time, and a group of businessmen in Mexico wanted to take advantage of existing infrastructure, the stadiums that had been built there, to host a Women's World Cup. But FIFA would not officially recognize the event. They said that it couldn't happen. These businessmen got together. They talked to the national teams of each of these countries that wanted to participate, and they decided to put on an event anyway, and they called it Copa 71. The story 
is told to us from the perspective of those who actually participated in the event. And that is what really makes this an engaging documentary. It's high energy, it's propulsive, uh, the music is fantastic, and it really does just fly along. But the fact that we're getting firsthand reports of what took place, and what's really cool is that they interview the various women from all of these different international teams. Many of them had never been out of their home countries before they traveled to Mexico for this event. And they remembered so many great details of what happened. And then on top of that, they layer in this amazing, unseen archival footage of the actual soccer matches that took place. It's awesome. And for those of us who had no idea this existed, which is pretty much everybody, you get to basically watch a sporting event while you're going through an informational history lesson at the same time. So it's kind of different than, say, watching a documentary about a Super Bowl that you already have witnessed. You know the winner. You know the story beats of what took place in the first, second, third quarter, the dramatics. None of that is on the table here. So it's all a surprise. The women share so many wonderful stories about the matches and their shared experiences and how they supported each other despite having rivalries uh, on the pitch. Even when they were off the pitch, they recount their memories with so much emotion, uh, the joy of the victories, the pain of their defeats, and overall just the unbelievable experiences that they had that included time off of the soccer pitch. So they were on tourism duty, essentially. They were sightseeing. They were going to parties and bonding with other teams. There are some incredible soccer moments as well that we get to see. We learn about somewhat of the beginnings of name, image, and likeness, where one of the teams boycotted briefly because they wanted to be paid uh, fairly for the competition that they were providing, the entertainment that they were providing via competition, I should say, for all of these paying spectators. It's uh, astonishing to see the incredible turnout for this event, and yet it's incredibly heartbreaking to learn about how these women went from this high of participating in what is still the highest attended women's sporting event in the world to going back home to countries that didn't want to recognize them, that were still discriminating against them and providing a lack of coverage for their soccer, all because men in power were threatened by loss of that power, loss of money, loss of control. Um, FIFA has a nasty history, and this shows part of that ugly side. But at the same time, you really get to enjoy learning about an incredible, incredible event that without it, we may not have women's soccer like we do today. It's a booming sport. It's growing. It is beloved worldwide. And it's sad that it takes something like this to pull this story that has been buried by those that would wish to continue that discrimination. But here it is, in the light for all to see. Uh, this was executive produced by Venus and Serena Williams, so there is definitely some sports pedigree behind it. And I think that anyone who really enjoys a good, rousing, inspirational, historical documentary is going to get a lot of mileage out of this. So keep your eye out for Copa 71.
hopefully it will be releasing on some platform soon. And of course, if you follow me on all of my social media channels, I will be sharing the moment that I hear it does have some sort of release date. Next up, I have a review for you of Dumb Money coming to us from Sony Pictures Releasing. Dumb Money stars Paul Dano, Pete Davidson, Vincent D'Onofrio, America Ferreira, Nick Offerman, Anthony Ramos, Sebastian Stan, Shailene Woodley, and Seth Rogen. It is directed by Craig Gillespie. It is written by Lauren Shuker Bloom and Rebecca Angelo, and is based on The Antisocial Network by Ben Mesrick. Cinematography is by Nicholas Karakatsanis. Music is by Will Bates, and it is edited by Kirk Baxter. It runs 104 minutes and is rated R for pervasive language, sexual material, and drug use. What's it about? The true story of a ragtag group of investors from the Reddit page called Wall Street Bets, who banded together to put the squeeze on at least two hedge funds that had bet that GameStop shares would fall. Now, Dumb Money is not the first cinematic offering to tell the story of the recent GameStop short squeeze stock event. There's actually been a couple of pretty good documentaries covering this subject so far. And I think that it's always a tricky job to explain to the everyday person exactly what the stock market is like and how it works. If you're like me at all, at least, maybe you struggle with understanding some of the lingo, like a short squeeze and what that means for Wall Street to bet that a company will fail and thus make money off of that. Well, how do you make Wall Street lose in that case? You do that by driving up the price of that stock, therefore making the company succeed, which makes the companies that bet for it to fail, fall and lose money. And this is what that tells the story of. But it does so in a way that captures the millennial, perpetually online, meme-obsessed culture that drove this event so perfectly. It's super energetic. It is very foul-mouthed. And it really nails the different type of people that got involved in this event when it took place. This all started with a YouTuber who called himself Roaring Kitty. Paul Dano gives an awesome performance here. I mean, seriously, he is incredibly versatile. This now makes two movies in which he raises a social mob to take down the man. <laughs> so if you compare this to his performance as the Riddler in Batman, there's some parallels there, but you'll see like the difference in the range that he has in his acting ability. He's so, so good as just this calm, pretty cool and collected guy who absolutely loves what he does. He has a YouTube channel that he goes on and he talks about stocks that he likes and he talks about his investments and he shares them openly for anybody and everybody to see. People latch onto that personality in this Reddit group called Wall Street Bets and they start jumping on the bandwagon with him. They start buying up GameStop stock when it's very low, pushing it higher and higher and higher. Eventually, this starts making the Wall Street guys really nervous. These guys are played awesome by Seth Rogen, 
Nick Offerman and others, they really do, I think, capture these hedge fund investors in a way that maybe we haven't seen before. Usually they're depicted as straight up villainous and just just drastically evil people. Here, there's almost a little bit of empathy that the movie gives them. I wouldn't say it's driving you towards that, but it treats them humanely as people who may be doing a thing that most of us would not agree with, but they're just people trying to make money too. And when you see the effects of them losing billions of dollars on their personal mental health and on their own families, you know, that kind of sucks too. But ultimately, this is a movie about the little guy sticking it to the big guy. The little guy gets a rare win because the stock market is not built for us to succeed. That's the message of this movie. And what Roaring Kitty is able to accomplish was just historically monumental. As a film itself, it's absolutely hilarious, nonstop. If you are a Pete Davidson doubter, I think this movie should probably finally sway you because this guy has so much comedic talent and perfect comedic timing. He steals every single scene he's in. Every line of dialogue had me just laughing out loud, gut-busting, hilarious. The film never takes itself too seriously. Uh, it really leans into, again, this culture and this memification of the world and the way that people bonded together and ultimately kept pushing this further and further, even at risk of losing money themselves, simply because it transformed from an opportunity to get rich quick into a movement and into a way to show Wall Street that the little man could get together, could unify, and could beat them. There's a ton of social network energy here, a lot of big short vibes to this as well. Um, it is a crowd-pleasing triumph that will have everyone excited. It's probably going to make you want to go and try and do some gambling at the stock market yourself. So, you know, maybe find yourself a YouTuber like Roaring Kitty out there to follow and get advice from before you do that. But I, I was really blown away by this movie. I, I thought that it was perfectly informational while being extremely propulsive and entertaining. And that cast. The whole ensemble cast in this is just doing work. I, I couldn't get enough of them. This was one of the first movies I saw on one of my days at TIFF, so it was like an 8 a.m. showing, and it woke me up. It had my attention, kept it. I loved it. I, I hope that the world latches onto this. I think that it is a smart enough script that it could even be an awards contender. This is not just a throwaway silly movie. This is a director, Craig Golefsky, who has and understands his craft well and has made something that is an overall package that is so high quality uh, for this genre that we just don't often get to see. So highly, highly recommend Dumb Money. Uh, it is available in theaters now in limited release, but will be out wide on September the 29th. This is just the first of many many episodes I have for you going through the films that I saw at Toronto International Film Festival. So please like, subscribe, 
come back and listen to or watch the rest. They'll be out soon as well. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filmed.